Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Many of us take for granted that we are human. But what if I told you that some, but not all of us, had DNA that was between 1 and 4% non-human? Would these people be truly human? Would they be less human than those without mixed genes? This scenario isn't hypothetical, but is actually true. Other than some sub-Saharan Africans, we all have Neanderthal DNA. And some East Asians also have Denisovan DNA. Today we're talking about what it means to be human. All right, so um, the op- our opening there is more a hook than anything else. Yes. You know, I think that most <laughs> most people would agree. Oh, okay, well, you know, maybe this this uh, very small amount of DNA isn't isn't a huge deal. You know, when you think about, okay, well, we share ninety nine percent of our DNA with chimpanzees or ninety six percent with bananas or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> DNA is probably not the be all end all in whether somebody is human. But it is kind of a tantalizing question, right? Um, given given those two things, uh, yeah. so there's some uh, sub-Saharan Africans that have you know just human DNA, whatever that means. Right. Um, but then people from the rest of the world have Neanderthal DNA mixed in, and some people have Denisovan DNA, which Denisovans were um, humanoids that um, were were smaller and were you know mostly on uh, East Asia. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, these, these two hominids were, um, distinctly, um, not human, you know, related to humans for sure, but they weren't human. Um, so when you, you think about that, like, oh, okay. Um, so I have DNA, I have genes inside of me that, that affect things, um, like whether I like napping during the day or whether I'm a sprinter versus a long distance runner. Mm -hmm. Um, so these things have a tangible effect on, uh, my experience of the world and things, um, and they come from a, a non-human source. It's kind of a, it's sort of a wild thing to think about. It is. It absolutely, yeah. It's a good hook, uh, and so, we and we think we know what we mean when we say human, but yeah, we, <laughs> that that's our trope in the whole episode, right? Is we always think we know what it means when we say something, and we always find out that we that we, we really don't. <laughs> so. We'll mix it up this time rather than going with sort of the essence and then talking about formative and speculative. We're going to start with the formative questions. So when did philosophers begin critically thinking about what a human is? Well, I think arguably when language developed, because if you look at Western philosophy, we go back to the pre-Socratics and then Aristotle, Plato, <laughs> All the way up through until now, uh, you know, one of one of the people that uh, we have had a really fun association with was uh, Jennifer Gosenti uh, Ferenci, and uh, and she writes about the the uh, connection of existentialism and art in making us human. Al- almost everyone talks about it. Hmm. Uh, in in philosophical terms, in one way or the other, whether it's a human condition, or what defines humanity, or what defines the individual human, or other characteristics, or and and that spills into the sciences. So there are scientific journals that publish articles about um, what constitutes a human being, 
and they're they're rife. They're they're plentiful out out there. So it's it's uh, it's it's constantly fascinating to us. It's a collective staring into our own navel. What makes <laughs> us different than everything else? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's um, it's interesting when you think about it that way, uh, because what you realize is that like like you just said, almost all of human um, endeavors are, are focused around that idea of what what it means to be human and even things that seem sort of unrelated right if you look at um like astrophysics or something you quickly realize like oh, okay well these mathematical concepts or these observations of things far away like we construct some kind of meaning of them um but it's all based off of this sort of anthropocentric viewpoint right we say okay well how does what's out there relate to us yep. and when you when you <laughs> zoom out that far you sort of have to remove the human element from it and say, well, it, guess what? The world doesn't revolve around us. So what the universe is telling us is this, regardless of whether or not yeah. it makes sense to a human brain or you know how it affects it. However human. else one construed or felt about or responded to the uh, old movie Alien, hmm. the, the fact of its brilliance for me, uh, aside from the cinema, cinematography and so on, was is that it, in science fiction, aliens are often presented, but in, in written science fiction, of course, it's much easier to do aliens. But it's really difficult to conceive of a completely alien alien unless you're a scientist writing science fiction. Uh, but it's happened very well. That's the first time in film, I think, yeah. where this doesn't think like us. It doesn't act like it doesn't care. It, you know, it's a force in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's what it it kind of touches on what we were talking about last week a little bit when we were talking about, um, you know, uh, like basically survival, right? And we were mm. talking about how, okay, some people have um, an ethical aversion to, to eating animals um, because they, you know, they believe animals have a subjective experience like, mm -hmm. like we do. And that's a perfectly rational line of thinking. Um, then I brought up the point like, well, but even aside from that, we eat plants, right? And mm -hmm. a plant is a living thing that has a growth cycle. And if humans didn't interfere with it and eat it, it would mature and reproduce <laughs> and do all these things, right? So life as a whole um, is sustained by consuming other life. Yeah. And so if you remove the human perspective from that, um, it makes me wonder if if that's how like a, a story like Alien, right, was sort of invented was like, okay, well, how do you think life out there would look if we just remove a human perspective how would an advanced right. species could it know? be an advanced species have an intelligence we don't understand have a base numbers numerical system we don't that it might be related to the things we know but what if it's based on helium instead of carbon and so on and so on there there that's fascinating and and so we could say yeah no they're not human why because they're not carbon based so okay, they don't belong to the category of homo human. They don't. They don't. And and then we think about all the terms that we have for variations in humanity. Uh, homo sapiens is not the only mm -hmm. <laughs> category, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is wide. Yeah, and that's that's the crux of the whole issue, and that's what we'll get into a, a little bit later when we get into the essence portion hmm. of actually trying to define what a human is. I think that that's sort of the, the looming question. Yeah. Um, 
But what are what are some of the theories that have developed throughout time? Like when you think about philosophers who have thought about what it means to be human, um, what are some of the the big concepts that stick out? I typed up some notes, <laughs> but I won't do a lecture. I promise. But and this is not. Um, and and I and I will will say ahead. This comes from the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Idea Pod. <laughs> Uh, there's a publication online called The Marginalian, which is always really interesting. Uh, many, many sources, philosophy now. So you, you reach out and you pull things and you try to put them together. And this is not in, in any way uh, chronological. Because I don't think chronology really helps. Current thinking uh, often says that, we, uh, as we know, nothing was ever a straight-line progression. No matter how many pundits want to try to make it that way, <laughs> and 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 so there's no point in that really. But so so Plato, because everybody recognizes that, and we'll pull together names we've talked about so often in, in this podcast. Uh, Plato wrote, "For all good and evil, whether in the body or in human nature, originates in the soul." Plato believed in souls, and he and he says that humans uh, have an immaterial mind. Read soul and a material body, so dualism. So we have reason and we have appetite and we have will. We have urges and and we are in search of meaning. That's essentially what Plato was saying. So what does it mean to be human? To be something in search of meaning. Hmm. And so, man, that right there is, is super interesting, right? Because here is probably one of the most ancient sort of philosophies about what it means to be human. Hmm. Um, I was reading an article just a couple days ago about a neuroscientist talking about how um, his brother had died and um, you know, he was, he wasn't able to get to the body until four hours after he had died. Mm. And he said, you know what? I, I spoke to him despite the fact that I know that, um, you know, after you, after your heart stops beating, um, your brain activity will cease really depending on how you died and, mm-hmm. and the environment you're in within seconds to six minutes after the heart stops beating, you know, the, the, the brain and the mind stop working. So, but I spoke to him anyways, because, um, you know, there's, we, we don't understand everything about the brain. We don't understand everything about the mind. We don't know how it works. And outside of that, um, how, how our, our minds and our bodies interact isn't understood and he summed up the whole article by saying that exact thing, which is that, you know, he talked about basically um, uh, near-death experiences, right? And the various types of them, how, okay, some people experience, you know, this great bliss or their life flashing before their eyes or, or anxiety or all these different things. And he, he mm-hmm. sort of related them to um, how those things would be caused Um why people would experience this differently and um his his, the way he tied it up in the end was that essentially thinks that the reason there are near-death experiences and the reason people experience them differently is because humans are designed to try to understand things and in the last moments of life it's a last ditch effort to try to understand what it's all been about how platonic is that that is very platonic (laughs) that is amazing that and and i think that it's it's well rendered because even if we think even if we go with the the richard dawkins and the neurologists and and say it's all just in our heads literally okay Mm -hmm. our bodies we're still 
working at it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's as you. That's just. That's terrific. And of course, we're going to have our own. Depending on our senses, it's a phenomenological issue. Right. Excellent. That's wonderful. All right. So so now let's hop forward to. A, oh, watch out! Here's a name that people think is bad. Karl Marx <laughs> says all history is nothing but a continuous transformation of human nature. Human nature is hugely shaped by our history. He believed that the way we view things, morality, constructs that are social, the fulfillment of needs, is always historically contingent, just as our society is. So to be human is to be an inextricable part of a, a, a society, which is constantly in change and, and which tries to assert certain things as absolute and given when they're not necessarily so. And again, very fascinating, right? Because we've we come up with, I, I love coming up with the philosophical thought experiments on this show, right? Where when we're examining a topic and we're really trying to get at the essence of what it is, especially mm-hmm. when it relates to human behavior, I always say, right? Well, what if we had a person that grew up in in a room that and never experienced another person, and mm-hmm. then we introduced them to this variable that we're talking about, right? How would they react? Yeah. And what Marx is saying is that. That person wouldn't really be human, right? You 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 have this his, historical context. You're born into this historical context. You're born into this society, and the interaction of those variables are what make you human. And that's an interesting yeah. thought, right? Because yeah. humans aren't born in isolation, right? If you're born, you have a mother and you have a father, and there's a very good chance that they're part of a culture and a society and a history and a community, and so. And That's if you don't, me, if right? you don't, and you and you are, are born and you're raised by grand, like a grandparent, a sister, a brother, see, and that that goes to the heart of because Marx also talked about uh, human nature as if it's a given, and this is always a debate too. Is there mm-hmm. such a thing as human nature? But in what you just said with the thought experiment, this is this is precisely what should uh, blow away the the constant assertion of the monoconstruct of one mother, one father, and that is the only definition of family. Says who? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one grandmother and one uncle. How about uh, two grandparents? How about growing up in an orphanage where you've got, uh, you might be lucky enough to have somebody who's a caretaker who is a surrogate? How about Bruce Wayne, who's raised by a butler? I yeah. mean, you know, I, it's, so is is one more uh, 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 superior than another? I, I don't think so. That depends entirely on the interactions and, and the contingencies of the context of the situation. Yeah, I saw um, an interesting article um, uh, a couple months ago. This is this is sort of graphic, but I think that it's it's relevant, right? Um, they were talking about how um sort of untouched civilizations work you, you know there was they have some anthropologists that were studying um various um tribes of people who have not been contacted by the outside world mm-hmm. and um watching their behaviors and stuff and they you know they found that um monogamy really doesn't exist in these cultures um and one of the researchers asked one of the men in the group well um you know how do you know that this child that's born was yours then, you know, if you've had all these things going on and the man's response was, well, it doesn't really matter. The child's going to be raised by the tribe. So, (laughs) so the end result was the physical act of procreation um, didn't really, they didn't really link that to 
ownership, ownership of a child. Really, they yeah. said the child will be born into the tribe, the child will be raised by the tribe and will become a person. So what's the big deal? Why do I care if it's my kid or not? Right. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to really rub um, traditional <laughs> um, nuclear family or, uh, you know, organized religious people the wrong way. Um, but that's sort of a, a keen insight into what it means to be human yes, on a different level. On right? a different level, because it's about if you're defining being human by relationships and you want to excise someone for being uh, not as human. Which is what's going on now. I mean, I, I know I'm digressing, but I can't help it. I mean, this is we we have we have groups of people who want to render extinct or uh, invisible groups of other equal human beings. So the the, the people who are trying to uh, remove uh, any any talk of about being gay or trans. If, you know, I, I was driving here this morning to talk about. It. I kept, you know, I, I keep going back to this, this marvelous pipe dream that when I get in my darkest moments, I still think about. It. And, I, and you just you're driving along, you're looking at the the scenery, you're thinking about life, and you're saying, "Why is it so hard for us to say every single person is equal to me?" And we say every day that we believe in this. But every so much of our actions deny that we believe in this. We say it's written into our nationalistic ideology. And then we deny it in the very next moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's, that's problematic. Well, what, let's see. So what's being human? Inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> Behaving in an inconsistent way. We have our answer. <laughs> what it means. No, but yeah, and this is, um, this is, really important right because it again we're talking about sort of implicit implicit versus explicit attitudes and you know again if you asked anybody not anybody but the majority of people um if x group is equal to y group if they're all humans most people say oh absolutely right but um your implicit attitudes and behaviors and biases and how that manifests um and and how you know there's science to back up um, that a lot of these groups um, suffer fates that are not equal to other that's, groups. That's right. And so yeah. that's that's kind of what Marx was getting at, right? Was um, saying, um, you know, what it means to be human is is very contextual. You know, it's based off of your your history and your society and your culture and, and how you interact with these I'll things. I'll tell you, life. you're equal. Just as long as you don't want the power that I have. As long as I have something more than you do, then it's okay to say that I mean, right? That that's that seems to be the the rhetoric. Hmm. Uh, that's not the position I must. That was not me saying I assert this position. Hmm. I'm just saying that that informally, I think that that's part of the rhetoric. We don't want you to be thus and such in in charge or equal, but you can't have schools that are quite as good as ours or whatever. Uh, it's so it's so easy. To point to this, that's why I say being human is so ridiculously, frustratingly inconsistent. Um, hmm. uh, David Hume, okay, uh, empiricist, uh, he said, all that belongs to human understanding, deep ing- ignorance and obscurity, all that belongs to it is to be skeptical or at least cautious. Humans are cautious. 
uh, much less of, of any hypothesis, which is supported by no appearance of probability. We need to be cautious, says Hume. So there's a characteristic. So we're inconsistent. We're cautious. We're, we're, we're beings who are shaped by our societies. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, and, and then I, and I'm, I'm just glancing because I, I, I brought some, some de- and I know you looked at them too, definitions of human, right? Uh, some of them are very tautological, which means they, they define by, the, by using the very words that they're trying to define. Uh, relating to or characteristic of people or human beings. <laughs> Oh, the human, the human body. Uh, of or characteristic of people as opposed to God or animals or machines, especially in being susceptible to weaknesses. Now, that's a fascinating definition. Isn't that? That's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, we're going to really explore those topics when we get into the speculative yes, part, yes. for sure. But I just wanted to toss that out yeah, there, no, right? No, absolutely. So, um, then we have Thomas Aquinas, who we've talked about very recently. We can't have full knowledge all at once, he writes. We must start by believing. Then afterwards, we may be led on to master the evidence for ourselves. So, And he was a dualist, too. The immaterial and the material uh, body, the soul and, and, and the organic. Uh, human beings have both a body and a soul. Uh, but a, a Kant, much later, says that the intellect is what makes us human. Uh, uh, and gives us meaning, Aquinas sa- says the reverse. We absorb knowledge through our senses, our intellect processes it when it can, and and gradually through our human experience. So Kant says the intellect is what makes us human. Uh, Aquinas says, no, what we take in through our senses uh, and our beliefs, that's what makes us human. Hmm. Yeah, this is a good segue getting into the essence portion of it, because the first question I had are, what are the constituent elements of a human, right? Mm. And so the three that are mentioned by those two philosophers, right, would be um, sort of the physical body, the intellect, and then the, the spirit. You think that's a pretty accurate picture, or do you think that you'd add or subtract what what sort of would, would define a human? I... <sighs> I think we had, because of our inherent, seemingly drive to to parse, to subcategorize, to create silos, uh, to create all the things that an education person studies constantly, right? So think of the ologies of sociology, how social structures work, anthropology, how cultures, not our own, function, psychology. Every one of the ologies is about trying to determine what makes us discernibly human. Hmm. We're obsessed with ourselves. We are the, is it any wonder? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you have a narcissistic president? Well, okay. We, we, have our, we are a narcissistic species. Hey, aren't we great? Hey, aren't we better than anything? Hey, wasn't the world designed solely for our use? Hey. <laughs> Do you think that that, that sort of um, attitude do you think that it's born out of that, or do you think that it's sort of a feedback loop from the the curious or the the skeptical nature of humanity? I, that the latter. That's an excellent question. I think it's the latter. I think we we, we we back to the beginning. We we seek meaning. 
Now, now, not everyone seeks it formally. And lots of people who seek meaning formally uh, then turn around and assassinate it and deny it, throw it under the bus, even though they're, uh, you know, I think about this, this word elite that gets used. So, you know, mm-hmm. We have normal humans and we have the elite. What do you mean by the elite? So word is getting tossed around as a, as, a, as a term of derision now. What is it? Well, let's see. So you think a football player who's worth $300 million, who's at the top of his game, he's one of those elite. We can't talk about him. No, we have people throwing all kinds of Sundays away, watching this, cheering, munching potato chips and saying, go you, you, you prime specimen of a human be- being, or the Olympics. We say we don't believe in elitism, but we do. <laughs> and and what is elite? So to have an elite education means to have a, 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 an education that has some of the best resources that you can have. And then we have people trashing it who themselves have had those very educations. The 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 the, the, the very recent uh, vetting of a potential Supreme Court justice had people who. Go to went to Harvard, Yale, worked at prestigious law institutions that led them right up the ladder to where they are now, saying, well, I'm one of the normal people. I'm not one of the elite. Nonsense. <laughs> so we, we, even in one word, elite, we trash it. We need elite knowledge because otherwise we wouldn't have survived. <laughs> but we trash it if it's not something that we think we like. And so, yes, so that feedback loop that we go, we, we look for meaning, but some of us don't want meaning in the same ways. Yeah. Uh, what meaning means is an entire other <laughs> yeah, talk. <laughs> right. Yeah, that elite is funny because you were just telling me a story right before we got um, on the air yes. talking about um, a chimney sweep, right? And how this, you know, this guy, um, I don't know what a polite way to put it is, but he didn't have a whole lot of skills that, that didn't lend themselves to chimney sweeping, but, but he, he was a fantastic chimney sweeper. He's sweep, a fantastic right? chimney sweeper. He's a terrific storyteller. Um, yeah. And 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 he he answered a call instantly <laughs> to do work, and I have a great deal of admiration for him. But but um, would he look at me as an elitist person because of my college degrees and so on? Uh, probably. But I but I didn't. But we weren't trashing each other, right? We were, I was. Yeah, and so elite is an interesting concept, right? Because I think that it sort of lends itself to um, the assumption that. If somebody is elite, we're probably talking about a very narrow um, subset of skills. If we were to say an elite human, that doesn't really have any meaning, right? No, it doesn't. Because if we're talking about a football player, all we're talking about is their physical capabilities. If we're talking about, um, you know, somebody who attended an Ivy League school, we're talking about their intellect. Or or their their means of, 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 of developing that intellect. But, you know, if we were, I mean, you could say the same thing about Mother Teresa or somebody, right? Right. They they had an elite spirit. But as far as an elite human being goes, it's it's really not something that has meaning in and of itself. No, not in the universal definition. One of the uh, the, the most standard definitions is it's a group uh, of of that that is superior in terms of, of ability or qualities to the rest of the group or society. Well, what abilities and qualities are you talking about? Right. And so an elite human doesn't have much meaning. But if we think of humans as elite animals, that gets us closer to 
talking about what a human yes, is. Yes, yes, it does, because <laughs> we always like to define ourselves, as you said in the outset, against animals. Mm-hmm. So what are the qualities that make a human an elite animal? And if we can answer that, we're probably getting close to what a human, what it means to be human. Let right? us continue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's see. Uh, I won't... Uh, Let's talk. We won't toss out some more names at the moment, but uh, let's take what so many philosophers will talk about. What makes us an elite animal? We have language. I know there are people who love whales who, right now, if they were listening to this, were saying, Yeah, but hey, wait a minute. No, I'm right there with you. It may well be that whales have a, a language, we just haven't figured it out yet. But we like to say that we are top of the chain for our intellect. We are like to say we're top of the chain for our use of language, for our ability to have a sense of space and time, so that we have, in other words, memory, and we contextualize things across a spectrum of, of dimension, uh, whatever dimension you choose. Uh, we, we make new things. <laughs> Uh, arts, uh, technologies. We try to better things that we have made sometimes. Uh, so th- those are some of the, the most uh, general language, you know, uh, affect. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, that's a good start. Thinking about humans as elite animals. I think the first thing that, that comes into mind that's the most ir- ironic is that um, physicality doesn't play into it at all, right? <laughs> we don't really... When you look at humans versus animals, most people don't say humans have some physical skills that set them apart that are superior to many animals. Yeah, right? no. <laughs> so, so really, um, you know, as not far even as, tardigrades. Right. We think those lovely little creatures. Right, and yet, if you were to say, um, if you were to talk about elite humans, probably most people would default to athletes, right? Um, so th- that that's kind of a fallacy, I think. Um, if we're talking about humans as being a, elite animals. Physicality doesn't play into it much. Um, a lot of it does revolve around intellect. Mm-hmm. And like you said, and um, this is something that that I discussed with Keelan Cooper a couple weeks ago, yeah, yeah. was um, that, again, we run into this issue of the anthropocentric feedback loop, right? We assume that humans are elite animals due to our intellect, but that's because we're viewing intellect from a distinctly human perspective, right? And so when we read these studies, and, and this is really... Um, despite all of our research, it's an emerging science. It's happening in the moment as yes. you and I are speaking. Yes, We're discovering, oh, well, dolphins call each other by names. Oh, well, whales sing individual songs. songs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do these things um, that seem to sort of cross over into that realm of, mm, well, this is human-like intellect. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. again, that's the tricky word is human-like, right? We, we, des- we describe it as human-like because we haven't observed it in other animals. Well, as we start to observe these complex behaviors in other animals, the goalposts of what human-like means shift, right? Um, yeah. And that that's problematic, but that is the purpose of philosophy. That's why we're talking about what it means to be human is because we're trying to get past those preconceived notions of, oh, well, I know a human when I see one, so right. that there we go. That's the end of it, right? Yeah, no, to remind there's... us what we to remind us for me part of this is is uh, the joy of doing this each week is is rem- is 
having a conversation which causes us, uh, causes me to reflect, to think, you know, it's the teacher in one, right? To, to, but it's the human element of, can I be better than I was in that interaction X, Y, or Z that I had this week? Might I approach people in, in a, in a way that lets them know that we don't have be separate. But where are the lines that absolutely I, I cannot say, okay, we can agree to disagree? Because being human, we have those lines. It's hmm. say, oh, oh, we'll agree to disagree on the fact that this is a person or this is not a person. No. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I can't do that. I, I, I can't accept that. I won't accept that. But what you just were talking about, there, this is Nietzsche. Uh, the advantage of psychological, the advantage of psychological observation, meditating on things human, all too human, uh, is one of the means by which people can ease life's burden. By exercising this art, we can secure the presence of mind in difficult situations and entertainment amid boring surroundings. We can we can be in a situation and take us ourselves out of that situation to some extent. Hmm. We are we are aware of our own mortality. That seems to separate us. We think from other animals. Uh, we we are able to be in more than one place at the same time in our minds. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's a huge. And th again, this is going to play heavily into the speculative portion of the podcast. So I'm I'm excited to get there. Okay. Um, does one of these elements hold greater sway? Do you think there's something that that really, um, one part of a constituent element of being human that that really sets us apart from animals or machines or God, like that definition yeah, of human yeah, said, right? I. It's a trap. <laughs> I have sensed this with our in our relationship over the years. Do I think that there's one thing that that sets us apart from all those other things? We build machines. We uh, forgive me some posts, but we made up God. <laughs> and even if we didn't make up God, we would have. There are philosophers who have said that. We we therefore place ourselves. And, and we've given ourselves permission in our stories to to, to dominate the earth, and we see how well that's going. So, <laughs> I, I think that the being human ultimately requires humility. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I had a couple a couple examples, right? So when we're thinking about elements of being human, so yeah. being phys physicality or um, cognitive processing or, or for lack of a better term, spiritual, you know, consciousness, um, empathy, these sorts of things, right? Um, again, I think it helps to go to these extreme thought experiments, right? So if we had if we had a brain in a vat, right? Yeah, yeah the old, the old. Yeah. Or we've we've talked in past episodes about um, people born with no brain, essentially just a brain stem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or um, you know, these these sorts of scenarios, some of them real, some of them imagined, where or sensory deprivation, where you you're, you're yeah, essentially yeah. in a suit and you can't see your face. So it's like the brain in the bed. Yeah. So, or in extreme cases of um, uh, psychopathy, or um, in in a lack of memory, okay. right? Yeah. You know, if there's there's been case studies of people who have 
who can only remember about six seconds. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, in these cases, there's been elements of being human, what we consider being human, that have been stripped away from people. Yeah. And they don't seem to cease to be people in our eyes. They don't cease to be human, right? Um, but these are all major cornerstones of what we talked about so far, the physicality. If, if you right. had a brain in a vat, um, and let's say you could hook up to it via a computer or something and you could interact with it, would that still be a human, right? Well, that, that, that of course, that's the science fictional question. Time Magazine had a couple of few years ago that uh, if if we survived the, the, the planetary shift, uh, that we might be able to upload our consciousness within 50 years. We don't even know what our consciousness is yet, but we're going to upload it into a machine. Right. Is that consciousness the person? Is that person in the machine? <laughs> yeah. Is the ghost in the machine? In the machine, and, yeah, yeah, and 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 does that make it not human? I, I I think we want to say no. That's too human. Why? Because of consciousness. So is a person who's in a coma no longer human? <laughs> you right, know, we can't yeah. know. That's not the case. So what is it? And <laughs> and these are the perfect examples because this is the stuff that's like maddening. Um, but it's I, I I live for it on the show because it, it it gets to the heart of the question, right? It does. Um, a, a really fascinating one I saw, and I'm not sure if this guy's still out there, but there's some mad scientist out there who wants to be <laughs> the first guy to um perform a head transplant. Oh yeah. If you okay. have somebody who's a quadriplegic, right? Yeah. Basically, slicing their head off and putting it onto a different body, right? So at that point, who is that? person and that that gets into personhood more than humanity but there is an interaction right There's oh <laughs> but it doesn't get into personhood more than humanity necessarily because we've got literature that addresses that and it's called frankenstein hmm. yeah <laughs> okay so if we piece it but this also looks this also in a gruesome way but as a helpful thing moves us into transhumanism which is the uh, uh, supplementing of of the human body in order to make it more efficient or make it longer lived or make it stronger or uh, more elite. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that 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 gruesome model that you just said that that's the ship of Theseus again. Yeah, who am I if my head is transplanted onto somebody else? Um, interesting. Uh, we probably say that uh, I'm the consciousness that has been transferred under that person who is no longer a person because they don't have a head. Ah, so now we're back to the brain and the fat again. Is it possible to say that a person was a human, but now that they no longer have a, a physical, physically present <laughs> um, structure to hold the brain and there's no brain? Well, they were human. Yeah, and uh, man, that's why these thought experiments are are fascinating and really important to the discussion, right? Because mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that we just talked about when we were thinking, if we think about humans as elite animals, right? Physicality <laughs> doesn't play into the scenario much. Mm -hmm. But when we start talking about what it means to be human without a body, like a brain in a vat, I think some people might balk at that still being a human, and. I don't know if it's just the lack of the physical body or if it is because of the um, sort of um, lack of understanding of what conscious is, consciousness is and where it resides and the, in, you know, the, the interaction of 
that we have with consciousness between the mind and the physical body, right? Mm-hmm. We we can't separate the two yet, yeah. right? So as a result, we view them as sort of being inextricably interlinked, which is where monism and dualism comes into the, the but question. We, it, 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 that's excellent, and that's you're right, you're right. But this also tangentially or uh, within the scope brings up the the sad and and execrable human propensity to dehumanize others for all kinds of reasons, making them the other, an object of fear, an object of ridicule, an object of being less than us. And and that goes back to some of the things I said earlier. You 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 if you want to take any group of people, um you know, I, I, I'm thinking that this is very specific, but I'm thinking of the horrors that are going on in the Ukraine as as we record this, and one feels uh, for that, and one you know, people trying to figure out what to do, what to do, and and we when we talked a little bit about that last week, and yet on the borders of Ukraine, there are Ukrainian border guards who have uh, objectively been seen reported. Uh, turned back people who are trans people saying you're a man get back in there and fight and 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 pulling them aside uh stripping them naked treating them as if they are less than human and we know what you are go back in now that's the ugly side of it's it's not that any one group of people no group of people is heroified or should be as all being of the same um, motivation or the same capacity to empathize no there are execrable villainous vile activities that every group of human beings do yeah so so yeah, I guess being vile is part of being human too. Yeah, let's well let's extrapolate that to our thought experiments some, right? So we've talked about the brain in the vat and whether or not that brain is still human, right? That's an interesting thought. The, the next one was we've talked about people with um I think hydroencephaly is that what it's called where they're born with no brain, just the brain stem. Um and most of them die in 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 you know as infants, but there's been cases of them living to be 19 years old or so. Um and I think that most people would, they're not going to say these people aren't human, right? Um, what you were just talking about is sort of plays into our third one. So that first one tests physicality. Mm-hmm. That second one tests um, mental acuity. Mm-hmm. This third one sort of um, tests that spirituality or for lack of better term, um, you know, I, I guess I'll just stick with that spirituality, right? Um, which is in cases of severe um, mental illness, right? If we, th- if you think about a serial killer, or you think about some of these other people who act in ways um, yeah, that, that make you shudder, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and you think, I, yeah. I can't relate to this person as right. a human being because I, I can't even imagine what they did. You know, those three thought experiments and the interaction of them, I think somewhere in there lies what. How we def- how we define humanity. Uh, I, I I agree, and that's what makes it so extraordinarily complex. And so we never did promise we we're going to solve this today. No, <laughs> <laughs> at, at all. But yeah, and, and and look at the 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 appellations, the names, the monikers that we the the that we give in uh, dehumanizing 
someone who has had a violent life and who has done unspeakable horrors uh, in their actions. And these horrific uh, things cause some folks to immediately knee-jerk response and say, they're animals. Hmm. Well, that's a slam against the animal world of which we are very much a part. To say they're animals, and you say, yes, yeah, so what? We all are. What are you saying? Hmm. See, I think these, these words that people just throw out without thinking about them are what need to be thought about. Yeah. What do you mean by animal? Because because a bear will attack you on 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 uh, walking down uh, some remote place, not generally, but once in a while it happens, and sometimes there's an illness involved. But does that make the bear less bear? Is the bear more of an animal than other animals? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that that I think that that specific term, calling somebody an animal in that term, that's Marxist, right? Because that's talking about savagery, basically saying that. This person isn't acting as if they grew up in a historical and cultural and societal context that would lead them to behave as a human. So if you're doing a, Marx, uh, a Marxist analysis, you would say that the person is, is rejecting the personhood, the humanhood. Hmm. Uh, and, and perhaps one can, uh, yeah, okay, so can you, can you choose or do you, do you have the physical constitution, the, the, gene- the, 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 mix, the machine mix? The electrochemical mix that has turned you into a villain. All right. Uh, does that mean that you are less than human, or does it mean that you are human with uh, flaws that we cannot and, and should not accept as standard in, in your in your in your vicious behavior toward other people? Uh, that's different than just saying you're an animal or you're, you're subhuman or what. No, because as soon as we start doing that, we turn away from, we make it more comfortable for ourselves. Oh, okay. No, they, 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 they aren't us. No, they aren't us in a, in a standard day to day way, but they are us. They have come from us and we therefore have to address it. Right. Yeah. So. You know, I think that, again, the purpose of this show is not to answer questions, but just to <laughs> to raise issues and then to have people think about them. And I think that the thought experiments have established that now people are are wrestling with these issues of, well, what, what does it mean to be human if I'm looking at these three contexts? Now I'm going to shift it back as we head into the speculative portion. I'm going to go back to what we said at the beginning of the show, right? Talking about Neanderthal DNA. Okay. So how do we determine the limitations of humanity conceptually? So in those three thought experiments, right, if we go back to the idea of a Neanderthal, we categorize Neanderthals as not being human, right? But we know Neanderthals um, had physical bodies that were very similar to ours. They had mental capacity that was fairly similar to ours. And they also had um, community. And we think that they did have a, a concept of spirituality based off of some of the artifacts that they, they built and things. So what makes a Neanderthal not human, right? <laughs> or um, conversely, fast forwarding, you know, we've had, we rewound into the past, now we'll fast forward into the future, right? Yeah, yeah. With our development of, of AI and machines and stuff. Again, something I talked with Keelan Cooper about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> that was a good conversation. If, if the 
um, ability of robotics and artificial intelligence to mesh does get to a science fiction type level um, where these things do start to have some kind of subjective experience um, that, you know, is in terms relatable to how we experience the world as humans, Mm -hmm. what stops them from being humans? So conceptually, where do we draw these lines looking at our, you know, Neanderthals or AI robotics, you know, how, where do we, where do we start with that? I, for me, it starts with, and and thinking about our, our, our talk this week has, has taken me there. Lots of things have taken me there. It starts with why we, I don't know the answer to this, it's certainly not a complete one by any stretch, but, but for me, the starting question is why do we feel the constant need to define ourselves against everything else? In, in one sense, to me, it seems like a species-based sense of inadequacy. When, when bullies bully, that's usually because they're, 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 they perceive themselves as inadequate, and so they make a whole bunch more noise and cause a bunch more harm, and it's, it's certainly not a light thing. But uh, we know psychologically that that's often the case. They're making up for something, whatever whatever that happens to be. And, and to me, especially when you get into the AI part or the Neanderthal part is, well, across the across the very complex timeline of evolution, something else happened, and humans bumped up from. I say up. How dare I say up? We go up the ladder. We go up the chain. We rise. It's all so damn capitalistic. We just we 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 can't just go laterally. Why? Well, because we must have gotten better. So somehow humans are better than Neanderthals. How? Do we move faster? We we don't take naps. We we you know I I it just boggles me that we feel the need to do this and with AI. Well, of course I'm human and you're just a machine. Just a machine. If a machine has algorithmically so advanced that it can converse with me in a way that I find meaningful. How dare I say that that is no longer is, is not is not human? It's using language. If, if if AI is the place where it's using language, it's using language creatively. It's making art, uh, which there are, that right now there's a well. We talked about that once. An artist who uh, has a, a robot who's programmed all the art as much art famous art into it as could but essentially and now that comes up with new things well are they new things or just things that it's seen and put into new places well what's music but that why it's for me the baseline joel is why we feel the need to do this what does it gain for us yeah and this is a deep-seated question right this i this leads me back to my statistics class which essentially um, statistics is just science, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they say that mm-hmm. psychology is a science. Lots of people like to get into psychology because they don't feel they can do the hard science, but <laughs> well, they're fooling themselves because it's all the same thing. And at its core, this thing, we science has, uh, you know, a couple different types of ways of figuring things out. There's descriptive, predictive, um, and explanatory, right? And those three groups are based off of three different groups of tests 
and three different types of ways of categorizing. A descriptive test is based off of nominal, nominal variables, which is describing differences. A predictive test is based off of ordinal variables, which is now describing, you know, different groups and then ranking the different groups. An, ex an explanatory test, an experimental test, is based off of describing different groups, ranking those different groups, and then seeing how those groups relate to each other. What is more human than that? Well, that's exactly what you were just talking about. We have this, um, this urge to, to categorize things. And then it, it's not good enough to categorize, right? It's not good enough to say we're different from the animals. No, now we have to say, now we have to rank. Well, we're right. better than the animals. Right. Well, then once we've, once we've differentiated ourselves and once we've ranked ourselves, now the next step is to see how we relate to these things, right? Yeah. And yeah. so all of humanity is sort of this, um, I won't say scientific because we're not always following a scientific method, mm -hmm. but the way of thinking is this sort of skeptical um, approach, but it almost makes you wonder the approach in itself, right? This need to categorize, this need to rank, and then this need to look at the, the interactions between the ranks. That is something that has to be deeply part of what makes us human. You know? It seems... To be, I mean, if you think of we 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 talk about folklore sometimes and folk tales across the the planet from so many different cultures. I will not say all cultures because I've not experienced all cultures, but many folkloric traditions in in their creation stories start by calling themselves the people, not a people the people and that definite article so think about our own document we the people and 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 uh, israel the, the chosen people right we everyone wants to be special in the eyes of something bigger than we are yeah look we're the ones it's so debilitating it is so it holds us back as a species Rather than, but but we do it even in our language. So yes, I think it's Kant was talking about this. Um, it, 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 you know, there are people now who want to cancel Kant because Kant uh, exhibited some very ugly racism. There's no racism that isn't ugly. He exhibited some racism, but does that affect the 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 possibilities of his theory about? how people should behave with each other. The, the counter to that is no, it doesn't. If you say everyone should be treated as a, as not a means to an end, but as an end in themselves, then you're saying everybody ought to be one. And, and if you, if you look at Kant and his later, late, latest uh, stuff, he was rethinking some of that ugliness didn't make him all better, didn't make him not racist, but it, but the idea can go beyond this. So here Kant, Kant is saying, uh, uh, he, he, he was talking about human autonomy. He says that as humans, we are determined and capable of knowledge. We are seeking meaning. We are determined for, to find knowledge. We are capable of finding knowledge and, and we are capable of acting on it without depending on anyone else whether it's religion or divine intervention, we find 
knowledge, we take action on knowledge, and we give reasons for our actions. And that, for Kant, is what makes us human. Yeah, and that's a really that's a really good description, and it definitely plays into what we were just discussing. And so, if we apply that to the original question about why we don't consider Neanderthals or like a robotic AI human, then really, I think the answer to whether or not those things are human depends on where we draw the line with those variables, right? Because so, you know, this idea of um, seeking knowledge on its own and, and doing these sorts of things, you can look at an AI and robotics and say, okay, but we have to build it, right? Like we have, we have to build it. We have to do some programming to get it where it is. So if you go all the way back to its core, and this is what Keelan Cooper was saying, an AI scientist, he's saying AI and robotics really is human, not in and of itself, but because humans are acting through it. Yep. Neanderthals, on the other hand, we've talked about this before. If you look at the, the history of Neanderthal tools versus human tools side by side, you see that the, the Neanderthal tools stayed static, whereas the human tools um, adapted and changed to the environment and to the prey and to the technological innovations. So despite a lot of the human characteristics that a Neanderthal might have, depending on where you draw that line might determine whether or not you consider a Neanderthal human or not. Yep. It's, yep. you know, we know they had language. We know they had bodies and minds and communities similar to us. So I think there's an argument to be made either way, right? You can consider yep. them human or not based off of the, just our arbitrary categorization yep. of how we define these things. That's that, you've, you've said that very well. And, and, and again, that's what Kant was talking about when he says we interact with the world based on our um, perception of it. So we can tell ourselves, oh, that's not human because X, Y, and Z, and we can offer reasons for it. Animals take actions, but they don't offer reasons for it. Right, right. We take actions, and we're happy to explain, or not, but often happy to explain all the reasons why what we did makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's not human because it doesn't have a body. That's not human because it doesn't have a brain. That's not human because it doesn't right. interact with other humans the way And my perception should. of what human beings are or should be, and that should be, there's that awful thing that leads people to discount whole groups of human beings. Um, it, it, yeah, what should be is not what you are, so therefore. Yeah. So again, no answers, but more fascinating questions. Do you believe in the possibility of transhumanism? Is this a trap? <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this wasn't designed to be a trap, but you never know with me. I might figure out a way to make it. <laughs> Do I believe in the possibility? Yes, because it's already happening. I mean, uh, you, you know, and I'm sure you, you are aware of this much better than I am because I read of it at a distance. The, the prosthetics that are available now, the bionic prosthetics for people who have uh, lost a limb are incredible compared to 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. They they enable a, 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 a ways of moving through life that otherwise might have been difficult. And that's that's verging uh, at least on transhumanism. If I can get an, if I can have an eye, if I have an eye uh, that goes bad, and an eye can might be near, near term future have a replacement, which can pick up the signals and give me something of an image that's 
transhumanism on the verge again. But if I have an eye that also allows me to see all the other spectrums, we've talked about this many mm-hmm. times. Let's see, shift to X-ray. Well, there are characters in comic books like Cyborg and everything. The, the, the $6 million man back in the 70s. But that's transhumanism. That means my eyes have a wider range than yours. If I have telescopic vision. Yeah, I think, I think again, it comes back to our categorizations, right? Because there's definitely real-world impacts to this. I remember a few years ago they were talking about um, Special Olympics athletes and how um, the athletes who did the sprinting that had no legs and were using the blades were actually faster than athletes with human legs, right? So that's transhumanism, for sure, um, in, in our one definition of it. I think when I ask the question, okay. do you believe in the possibility of transhumanism, yes. I think what I'm really asking is um, – Capital T versus lowercase t, right? <laughs> so I think lowercase t transhumanism is is established, like you said, right? We we have demonstrated the ability to modify ourselves and create effects that make us more elite, right? <laughs> or or yeah, in in one in one category or another, yes, yeah. I think capital tree tra- capital T transhumanism is looking at that that language portion of it, right, and thinking. So transhuman, what, what if we break down that word? What does that mean? It's, right, it's kind of going going beyond human, and like we've talked about, trying to establish what's human and looking at um, these different things. You know, our animal and our and our ancestor and our future robotics and these sorts of things. Yes. Do you think that there's ability for humans to actually transcend being human in some way do you think that's something that would ever happen yes i do think it's it's i I think it is already marginally uh, beta testing of beginning to happen Uh, but the trans the transit the transition implies a one condition moving to another condition you know, people are scared of that word. No, well, we have transit systems where we move from one thing place to another all the time. That doesn't bother us. How come a human being can't move from one place and condition to another? Why does that put us off so much? Why does that? Fr- I I I cannot fathom why that is such a frightening concept to people. I I, I can offer what I would say superficial reasons, but why? Does the fact that you may have, uh, like Amy Mullins, marvelous speaker. She's been on TED Talks. She's 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 a model. She's a, an athlete and a businesswoman. And and one of the talks she did on TED Talks was about her uh, then twelve sets of legs. She can be very tall. She can be very. Uh, short. She she has a legs made of wood. She has legs made of glass. So the artisans have made these for her. She has legs that mostly are for mod- modeling, but they all function. She has the blades, which she uses to uh, uh, compete with others. Uh, in, so she is uh, a, a living transhumanism and explaining to people why this doesn't make her less than human and it doesn't make her superhuman. It just affords possibilities for her that she thinks uh, are to be celebrated, and any and anybody could. Now, now the difficulty is: does somebody say, "Oh, I want twelve sets of legs, so I will amputate my own legs"? Mm-hmm. A very few people would be that off 
off the rail. Um, uh, or so very sad that that would, that would have to, you know, but hers didn't come because, no, because doctors aren't going to say, I'll do that for you. That, that, that's not happening yet. If that happens, then we've got an elite economic, economic system going on where, hey, I could afford to have my, I'll sign all the papers. I'll have you do this. And sooner or later, some doctor would. Does that mean we should stop it? I, I don't think so because I don't think we can. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, I think that the big thing, and again, this is this is what when when I was asking Keelan Cooper about um AI and um, you know, sort of consciousness. One of the big things that he was saying was the reason AI wasn't conscious is because it doesn't have a sense of time or you know context really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what bugs people about our current state is that. Like you said, humans have always been in transit. If you look at early humans versus us now, um, there were no blue eyes, right? We were much shorter. We had these different things. So, you know, um, humans have been evolving and, 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 you know, transiting over time. The difference is modern technology now allows us to do things much quicker. I still think that this is lower T transhumanism, though. I think I'm, I'm probably not describing it good. I think upper T transhumanism is actually trans is moving beyond being human. Right? A, okay, here's the capital T definition from philosophy site. Transhumanism is a philosophical and intellectual movement which advocates for the enhancement of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies that can greatly enhance longevity and cognition. It also predicts the inevitability of such technologies in the future. So there's an advocacy and an assertion in transhumanism that this is, again, the way to go. So if we let's say we draw that out to its logical conclusion, right? We say, okay, well, the best way to improve longevity and then to improve cognition is to get rid of the body completely and just upload our consciousness into purely electrical form yeah. on the internet, right? Yeah. Is that still a human? Well, if you're going to argue that the, essentially if, if, if the people make the argument that without consciousness we are not human, well, then consciousness is one of the prime points of being human. I'm not taking that position. I'm saying that that's one of the positions that's out there. So arguably, yes, if your consciousness still exists. I'm sort of wondering, right? Because I'm thinking, all right, if you get rid of the body completely, um, let's say you have consciousness, um, but now you're in a purely electrical form and you have access to like, let's say the whole internet, right? Hmm. Um, So you learn everything there is to learn. And And if everybody does this, right? And then everybody is this same sort of, and you thing. want to go beyond that. Then you become yeah. a collective being. Right. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. At, at what point would you would you cease to resemble anything that we currently um, consider human based off of nothing that we've established? Well, I, I, I think we already have the model. I know that this is going to seem bizarre, but we've said a lot of things today that probably seem bizarre. So when you think about it, we are an amalgamation of colonies of things people don't want to think about very much. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, our guts are filled with 
stuff that makes us <laughs> work, and and uh, electrons and chemicals and 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 a particulate. We are an amalgamation. We don't last all that long. The parts <laughs> diminish and then are are reduced and recycled. Are we machines? Are we meat machines? <laughs> are, are we are we organic machines? Uh, because recycling implies that all the parts can be used again in one way or another. That was the perfect example to bring up because you know <laughs> they've done so many so much research on this. They saying, yeah, if you separate, if you took all of the bacteria out of your body and separated it, it would actually weigh more than you do, right? Hmm. And they're all living things that that act in one way or another. Viruses are we carry viruses? Yeah. And so, yeah. So again, we're getting into a, a different part of of what it means to be human. I'm not arguing the bacteria is human. No, no, no. But, no. but, but, but if we can't function without it, right? Right. It, it, it's it's an integral, an integral part of us. Yeah. We are the we are. If we're greater than the sum of our parts, then what is that? Is that awareness? Is it consciousness? And so if we, if we somehow in some far future of everyone who wants to uploads and then everybody knows everything in human experience, then there's no distinguishing necessarily characteristic and all of those millions of minds become one. Jack Kirby in Marvel Comics called it a unimind, which is one large consciousness. Yeah, that that's a fascinating <laughs> theoretical concept, right? Because we know that these things, you know, you can take probiotics and it will affect your personality, like the way you act in things, right? And they know that there's parasites. They say probably over a billion people in the world have a parasite um, that affects the way that they act that's mm -hmm. found from um, scooping their cat boxes, mm -hmm. you know? So these microscopic organisms that live in us do play a part in our cognition and our consciousness and our personality. And so in ways that we can't be entirely certain about how they do, but we know that they do. Right. And it's, so it's funny extrapolating that further and thinking, well, what if we were a part of that in a bigger thing and, and going up and up? But I, all right, man, this has been a really loud talk. I'll leave you with one last question and it'll be a, a very rare um, yes, no. Um, I guess I'll allow you a maybe. But um, last question is asking what it means to be human, the ultimate ontological question. Maybe. <laughs> and that's a fitting end. The answer is always maybe. And until next time, keep on. Moving.